What's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you guys so much for listening. Today, I am sitting down with Larry Hagner, founder of The Dad Edge. And this guy's, man, this guy's amazing. He's got a legendary podcast. He's created tons of courses and resources over the years. And he's one of those guys who is not like, he's not the world's leading expert in, you know, blah, 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 because he's super research and academic. This is just a very humble man who had a really difficult upbringing, uh, like really poor fathers and absent fathers. And we get into that in the store in his story and really just wanted to be better and didn't know how to do it. And so he started resources or started creating resources like podcasts and those kinds of things, trying to learn, trying to hear from people who were further ahead of him. And in the process, lo and behold, this guy has created a mega movement. And so you're going to learn a ton from him today. What I really like about Larry and the reason I think you guys are going to like him too is he really has a gift for keeping people psychologically safe. And we get into some like really practical, tactical kind of things for, you know, questions you can ask your kids, um, how to how to have a good conversation with your wife. And it's not just like some of the stuff that we've heard on this podcast before, like the when you I feel statements or like here's a great way to have like an awesome date. Like this guy goes deep, man, and he's got a really different way of thinking about things. Um, He's been able to even articulate certain concepts that I've always thought about, but I've never really had the language for it. So I learned a lot. I literally took notes the entire time. And I know that you guys are going to learn a lot from him as well. And so I'm super excited to share this interview with you. Uh, I don't think that I have anything else to mention before we jump in other than this. Be open-minded. The one thing I'll say is like with an interview like this, it's one thing to take in the information and to be like, yeah, that's a cool idea. What I'd love for you guys to do in your open-mindedness is just imagine yourself applying some of the things he teaches you. I actually got into a disagreement with my wife like three hours after this interview. And because of one, there was one thing in particular he said where he just talked about the power of of like really keeping your your nervous system calm. These are my words now, but keeping your nervous system calm in a heated moment, not defending yourself and really making an effort to understand the other person. But he gave a really tactical element that I, I will let you find out in the interview that I applied and man, it was so helpful. And I was just grateful for the timing and it, it just, that quick application really helped me reinforce it. And now I'm able to do it a little bit more regularly. And so um, I pray the same for you guys. Don't just take in the information. Really think about how you can apply it. And then obviously go out there and do the work. Anyway, without further ado, let's jump in. Here's my interview with Larry Hagner. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. All right. Well, I'm here with Larry Hagner, founder of Dad Edge and host of the Dad Edge podcast. Larry, it's a real treat to have you here, man. Hey, what's going on, man? It's so it's so cool to be on this show. Um, obviously, I heard you originally on uh, our good buddy uh, Ryan Mickler, Order of Man. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I love the topic that you discussed on that particular podcast. So, I'm excited to be here, man. Yeah. So, let's jump into it. You have founded this movement called the Dad Edge, and I guess I'm just curious, why are you so passionate about serving dads? How did this all come about? Man, I. Uh, <laughs> well, 
I, I, I make this joke every now and again that, you know, one day I, 10 years ago, I woke up and the sun was shining. I looked out the window and I had this epiphany of, you know, how, what it meant to be a good father and husband. And I just had to share it with the world. And, you know, I joke, but I had one guy actually think he was like, wow, really? I'm like, no, not at all. No. <laughs> it was actually pretty disastrous to, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I'm happy to go into any type of detail you want because, uh, the story is every time I tell the story is pretty unique. Um, you know, people, you know, you see the eyebrows get raised, but basically my childhood was spent, uh, half of it was spent without a father figure in my life. Okay. And the other half was spent, um, with a, usually some sort of toxic, abusive father figure. My mom was married three times. Uh, there was, you know, a, uh, revolving door of just toxic men, uh, who just were in and out. Uh, she, you know, every guy that she was married to, it only it would only last a handful of years. Every guy that she dated, it was like the same guy, same yeah. type of guy, just different name, different face that was always, you know, and that, that was my experience growing up. And again, I'm, I'm happy to dive into any details, but my mom was actually married young. She got married at 21. My dad, my biological father was 21 as well. They had right. me when they were about 25 after that, my, they got divorced. He, he left and, um, I didn't know him at all. And I oh. ran into him. I, I mistakenly when I was 12, uh, we had a very brief six month relationship. He was remarried at the time, a two-year-old son, another one on the way. And six months went by, we had a good relationship. And then he just basically said, Hey, it's, it's me. It's not you. And this is too much for me right now. And we need to go our separate ways and we did. And then that was wow. gut-wrenching. And then, you know, again, 30,000 foot view is, um, when I was 30, I was, uh, in a Starbucks for a meeting. I was in medical device sales at the time. And I had a, a standing sales meeting with my team every Monday at the Starbucks and who came walking in for their morning coffee, but my father and <laughs> hadn't seen him since I was 12. And we reunited unexpectedly in that Starbucks and I've had a relationship with him now ever since that was 17 years ago. Wow. And, um, four boys. And I would say dad edge really got started because dude, I had no idea what to do as a father. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that I was falling flat on my face because I had a laundry list of things that I knew not to do. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to throw beer bottles at my kids. I'm not going to call them names. I'm not going to slap them in the face. I'm not going to strangle them, throw them down. All these things that were kind of done to me growing up. Yeah. But I had no idea what, what good really looked like. And, um, dad edge really got started because I always swore to, I always made promises to myself because I, I, I knew what it felt like growing up with, with all that chaos. I was like, my, my kids are going to know who their dad is for sure. I want yeah. a connection with my kids. I want a connection with my wife. I only want to be married once and I will never hit my kids out of anger. And I broke that last rule when my 14 year old was four, four year old, he stepped out of line. I spanked him and then he hit the ground and I didn't hit him all that hard, but I hit him hard enough to where, you know, a four year old lost his balance. And when I saw him topple over, I was like, oh my God, what did I just do? And I went huh. to go pick him up. And he looked at me like I was a monster, which I was in that moment. I was, yeah. And that was it for me. I was like, huh. I've got to get this straightened out. And if I don't, everything that I hold dear in my life will probably go away. Wow, dude, that's powerful. And so you, you started dad edge, not as like the expert dad coming in. It sounds like you were just hoping to maybe glean some advice from some other guys who were willing to talk about it with you. I'm still not. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, here's the thing. I, I know a thing or two now. I mean, I've got an sure. arsenal of tools, right. But I still fall flat on my face every single day. I obviously not to the extreme that I was. Yeah. But yeah, the podcast, the, I started the blog in 2013 and it was just like, I'm an idiot. I'm a moron. And here's a few things that I've learned here recently. <laughs> that was like the blog. And then the podcast was, I'm an idiot. I'm a moron. Let me have conversations with experts who are way smarter than me. Yeah. And the whole premise of the podcast, and it still is to this day, it is a front row seat to an incredible education that has probably saved my marriage. It's saved my kids and it has saved my life. Yeah. And the audience we all, we all just get to learn together. The only difference is, is I'm the one who's asking the questions. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. So, okay. I did want to ask that one question you mentioned about your childhood or, or kind of the upbringing. What do you think had a bigger impact on you? Do you think it was the absence of your biological father or the presence of abusive father figures? Gosh, what a, what an incredible question. I don't know if I've ever been asked that. Um, I would say actually both equally. Okay. Because I mean, if, if I'm, if I'm speaking very real to you, right. Like, um, I will tell you going through, you know, an environment of unsafety and unpredictability, people are drunk constantly, you know, mom and father figure, you know, that, that was all the time. Um, that was walking through that was felt really unsafe at the time. And it was just like walking on eggshells and broken glass at all times. Looking back on it though, you know, I'm just like my kids, you know, my kids will, I don't openly discuss things. Like I don't just openly share stuff, but when they ask me, I tell them, yeah. and I have my, my two older boys, they'll be like, I feel so sorry for you. I'm like, don't I'm like, don't <laughs> feel sorry for me. I was like, I don't feel sorry for me. Don't feel sorry for me. I was like, you asked, I told you, I was like, I'm thankful for my upbringing. And they're like, why? And I was like, because it taught me, it taught me a lot and it taught yeah. me to have really thick skin and it taught me of what I didn't want to be or do. I was like, and I kind of thank God for that upbringing in a way, because I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today. But that's, that's the first half. The second half is I had this really fascinating question come from my 14 year old and he'll be 15 here next week. And he, he just asked this last week. So this is like fresh off the books. Okay. My 14 year old, we call him the observant ninja. And that's because he <laughs> sees and he hears all, but he'll never let you know. He's very, he, he watches everything. Okay. And he's very attuned and he, you know, he'll ask like some really deep questions every now and again. You're like, wow, this kid's really paying attention. So he, we were going over to my dad's house to hang out with him for Christmas, him and his wife. He's been married, like I said, the same woman now for the past 40 years. She's great. I have two younger half brothers, great relationships there. Oh, cool. And my son asked me, he's like, Hey, are we going over to grandma and papa's on, on Sunday? I said, yeah, we are. He goes, do you like going over there? And I'm like, and of course I was like, yeah, I was like, I, I, I do. I was like, um, I, I especially like it when Papa's in a good mood and when he's not, I feel, you know, it's, it's a little, you know, it's a little fiery. I was like, but other than that, I was like, yeah, I, I like it. I was like, why do you ask that question? He's like, I don't know. He's like, I've been thinking a lot. He goes, he left you not once, but twice. He's like, how do you enjoy being around him? And I'm like, He's never asked that. And I was like, wow. I was like, let me, I was like, where does this question come from? He's like, I don't know. I just been thinking, he's like, if you left me, I don't think I'd be able to forgive you. I was like, it's fair. Yeah. I was like, you know what? When I was 14, I felt the same way. 
Yeah. I was like, but, um, what I will tell you is that, um, do I think about it every time I'm over there and I'm around him? Yep. I do. Right. I was like, and there's a part of me is like, how, why I would never, there's nothing in this world that would keep me from my kids. Nothing. Yeah. And I told them that. And I was like, but you know, my dad made those decisions. And and I told, I told my son this, I was like, I actually feel sorry for my dad. And he's like, why? I was like, I know my dad regrets those decisions. I know he does. He's yeah. told me we've, we've only had one conversation about it, but I know it has eaten him alive. Yeah. And I was like, that man has to live with that for the rest of his life. Yeah. And I feel sorry for him because he will never be able to let that go. Right. right. I was like, so I pity him. I love him and I choose to forgive him. And that's just yeah. the way it rolls. Right. So I'll tell you um, the abandonment thing, you know, it, it hits you and it still hits you as, as an adult, but I don't know if one is worse or better than the other, if that makes any sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a cheeky question, obviously to ask, but I was, <laughs> I was curious on, on what one. your stance would be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. One other question. So we, I've been talking about this with some of my friends lately, which is, so I don't have kids yet. And, um, we, we are of the generation that is, you know, realizing like how real trauma is. We all have trauma. You know, some people, obviously it's more notable than others, but we're very aware that like parent relationships, they're not make or break, but they're just so impactful on, you know, the person you become. And I think, at least in my friend group, I won't speak for my generation at large, in my friend group, it's creating a lot of scared potential parents who are like, who feel like they're, no matter what they do, they know they're going to mess with their kid. And there's like a lot of anxiety around it, right? So we were just talking about, about this recently. And I guess um, what intrigues me about your story is, is that I think you did what a lot of us do. We we get, you know, mom, mom or dad does this thing that kind of pisses us off as kids. And we say, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to be that parent, <laughs> right? Um, and like, I mean, I even did this. With, my dad was a pastor and I saw kind of the lifestyle that came with being a pastor. And I was like, yep, never doing that. And then I wound up being a pastor for 10 years. And um, I don't, I don't, I'm not a pastor what I do now, but it's very much pastoral still than the nature of my work. Um and God, I think, just has a funny way of working those things out in our lives. But I guess I'm curious for you, what do you attribute the most to reaching this place in your life now where it's very clear that you are not repeating the sins of your father, quote unquote, You're, you've really changed the trajectory, which I think um, everybody longs to do, especially if they have a storied past yeah. like you do, but not everybody's necessarily as successful in pulling it off. What, what do you think was the most, I don't know, the biggest contributor to that? I think the biggest contributor, the biggest contributor, I would say the launching pad was seeing this frightened four-year-old's face um, when I went to go help him up. Because I, I say this a lot and I say it at speaking events, I didn't see my son in that moment, I saw me. And I remember that feeling of someone who is bigger than you hitting you and how helpless it felt. And that was like, that was the launching pad for, for, for this whole thing. Yeah. But I will tell you, you know, the things that keep me grounded in all of this is I've learned so many powerful lessons and skills doing the podcast and doing, doing research and, and the books that I've read and experts that we've, we've spoken to and conferences I've been to. And what I will tell you is that I love to live by quotes. 
like quotes hit me in the heart big time, especially powerful ones. And my favorite quote of all time is the definition of hell is meeting the man that you could have become when you're on your deathbed. Mm. That one hits me so hard. And what I will tell you is that I am a imperfect, unfinished man who makes mistakes every single day. I apologize to my kids probably more than most. And that's because I'm an idiot sometimes. Right. (laughs) And, but what I will tell you is that there's some beautiful things that come out of being, you know, not the perfect father. Right. Cause I think a lot of men really feel like this pressure cooker of like, I've got to do this without mistakes. And when, when we have, when we, when we enter into fatherhood or even marriage like that, we are setting ourselves up for absolute disaster because it's really our ego that's in the driver's seat when it comes to that. It's like, I can't do this. I can't make mistakes. And if I make mistakes, well, then I just have to say, I'm the dad, you're the kid, you know, do as I do, as I say, not as I do. Right. Or something like that. That's how I was raised as well. Yeah. But what I will tell you is there's some incredible lessons and maybe I'll just share this one real quick story here. This was about six months ago. My 14 year old, again, my 14 year old, he, um, he, he, uh, all my kids, like I have four boys. So my house, like a lot of times looks like a fraternity house. And (laughs) one thing that gets under my skin is when people leave their dishes and their trash and their clutter, because for me, the filter, I run that through, this is not my, this is not my kids doing this to me. It's the filter I run it through it. Cause you know, I, I know that this is what's happening. So when I see dishes and popcorn bags and, and trash and empty bottles, you know, on the floor, my, my filter tells me how disrespectful are you being? You're being so inconsiderate. You're not picking up after yourself. You think that somebody's going to come in behind you and clean this up and that's lazy. Right. But in actuality, what really happened is my kids just forgot. It's not on their radar. Right. But I need to teach them that. And I remember about six months ago, I really, I really fired into my 14 year old Cause he, I have to remind him of that. And there was trash all over. And I was just like, dude, how I was doing the typical dad thing. I'm like, dude, how many times I got to tell you to do this? Like, I don't understand what it's going to take to get this through your head that you, I just simply pick up after yourself, stop leaving your stuff. And I just was going on and on. And he just sat there and he just took it all. And I didn't say anything abusive or cussing at him or anything like that, but I was stern. And he looked at me and he goes, I get that. And I apologize, but you don't have to yell at me. And I don't really yell at my kids very often, but when I'm, when I'm, when I get super angry, I do every now and again, it doesn't happen often, but it does happen. Yeah. And then my ego popped in. Right. And I said, well, if you picked up after yourself, I wouldn't have to yell. And as soon as I said that, I was like, that is such BS. Like that's what I was told. Right. And then I ended up walking away from the conversation. And I just remember being like, that was the moment that my 14 year old became older than me. Dear Lord. (laughs) Like what is, what just happened? Right. So I went back downstairs and I said, can we talk? And he said, yeah. I said, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. I shouldn't, you're a human being. You're a young man. I shouldn't have spoken to you like that. I was like, and you're right. I I don't have to yell at you. Yeah. I was like, can we make an agreement here though? Can we make an agreement that you will be better right about picking up after yourself? He goes, well, I have been better. I was like, actually you have, you've been really a lot better. And I was like, what would it look like if you had one reminder? I ask very gently and you hop to it and you do it. he's like, I'm on board with that. I was like, great. I was like, Mason, let me tell you something. I was like, you know how you're trying to 
figure out how to be 14 and a freshman in high school and the freshman football team and girls and friends and all this other stuff. And everything just seems like kind of a, a mystery. He's like, yeah. I was like, well, I'm still trying to figure out how to be 46 <laughs> and a father of four. And some days I get it right. And some days I fall flat on my face. And today I fell on my face. I was like, so I'm sorry. I spoke to you that way. And he's like, that's okay. Wow. And so what I think is really cool is that to answer your question, going back to it is I think when we lead with the attitude of I'm an unfinished, imperfect husband and father, I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm also going to teach my kids as I make these mistakes, what good looks like, what humility looks like, what, what being extreme ownership looks like, what apologies look like, yeah. because that's one of the most beautiful lessons that we can teach known to man. And our kids actually give us more credibility when we're right. like that versus less. And I think what most men feel like, well, if I say these things out loud that I did wrong, everyone's going to know and everyone's going to think poorly of me. I'm like, uh, dude, everyone does know already. Yeah. And they think poorly because you don't own it because they think you're unaware. So, yeah, right. Like, yeah. 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 That's a really powerful story. So how did you learn to prioritize? Because what I'm hearing from that story is like somehow you have learned to prioritize the relationship um, over you know, over the behavior. And uh, I to, to finish my story, like when my friends and I were talking about this of like, oh yeah, but I'm just so scared. Like, I, I, what am I going to do when I mess up my kids? I know I'm going to be imperfect. What am I going to do? And one of my, I, don't, I think maybe it was a colleague. I actually don't remember who specifically taught me this, but but I had, I had asked this question one time and somebody that I trust had told me, it's just about rupture and repair. Like, you're going to you're going to cause ruptures but where you actually change the trajectory is in the repair part and that story you gave is a perfect example of that um i don't know you got any words of wisdom for somebody who maybe is like man i'm causing a lot of ruptures in my relationships whether it's with kids or otherwise sure. any any words of wisdom on how to do that repair part well cuz that's that's a, a really beautiful example man uh, thank you. I appreciate that. I'll, so I'll give you a couple of different things. So I'll give you um, a process on the repair, but I'll also give you a process on the proactivity of preventing those from happening more often. Yes. So yes. Good. I, I, I will say this, um, you know, I look back on my life 10 years ago before I started Dad Edge and my batting average was not great. It was probably like 300 right? Uh, yeah. Every time I had an interaction with my kids, I was hitting 300, like three out of 10 interactions were pretty good. Um, now it's the opposite. It's more like seven, 800, right? So I still fall on my face, yeah. but I have better interactions more frequently. So let me get to that in a second, but, but here's what I'll tell you. Um, and again, I can, I can produce this in a story. Um, don't be afraid to make mistakes. The, the, the father and husband that does not make mistakes you're checked out. You're, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're distancing yourself. You might be numbing yourself. You might be like sitting on the couch. The, the guy, the guy that doesn't make mistakes is the guy that isn't doing anything and not showing up. Right. So get your hands dirty. Like another way to say this is think of the last football game that you saw. Right. And think of maybe it's Tom Brady or whatever else. Right. Tom Brady is the one who's out there. He's making the plays happen, but he's also the one making mistakes. You know who, the, who isn't making mistakes? His second string quarterback on the bench. Yeah, right. Right there, right? So yeah. if you're making mistakes, it's a good sign. You're a human being and you're engaged. So there's mm -hmm. that. What I will tell you though, is when you own your mistakes, and again, this is where I share in the story, my 14-year-old and my 16-year-old, they're very, very upfront and apologetic 
And sometimes they will come clean on something before I even have a chance to call them out on it. And I sit there and I think like, man, like this is incredible. And my wife is like, they get that from you though, because like you're very upfront and apologetic when you make a mistake and they're learning that. Right. They're like, they're not trying to dust something underneath the carpet. They're not trying to hide. They're not playing the blame game. Why did this because of this and this and excuses, excuses like they own it. I was like, wow, that's cool. So there's that. So just know that when you own things in front of your kids, yeah. you're teaching them ownership, which is cool, right? Huh. Um, here's here's where you can get more proactive, though. I think uh, the proactivity comes in learning skill sets. So I'll give you an example. Um, anything that we do well in life, anything, right? We go through training, we go through coaching, we go through whatever, right? Most people have a four year degree. Well, that's four years of training in an industry that you're going to move into. So like take engineering, for example, if you want to be a civil engineer, you can't not go to college and apply for a civil engineering job and be like, Hey, I love it. I think I want to do this. They'll look at you like you have, you don't even have a degree. You don't have training. We're not hiring you. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing for anything that we do. But if you look at those two worlds of marriage and fatherhood, it's good luck. Best time of your whole life. You'll figure it out. Oh my God. Like really? Like, can you imagine, can you imagine if you need a new hip or a knee and your orthopedic surgeon didn't go through his eight years of medical school, two years of residency and fellowship. And he was just like, I'll figure it out. Don't worry. Let me, let me go ahead and cut on you and replace this knee. You'd be like, uh, next please. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so the moral of the story is fatherhood and marriage, tactical skill sets that will set you apart from the rest of the people who will be like, I'll just figure it out. Don't figure it out. Please don't do that to yourself. Mm. Learn what to do and how to do it. Yeah, really well said. So th- this is where I really value what you do and what you've created. Uh, because I think you found a way to communicate even some more clinical elements in a way that's just palpable and easy for people to comprehend. Are there any skill sets in particular in your community that you find are really impactful on the preventative side? Oh yeah. So we teach, uh, so like within marriage and the same rules apply for your kids. Uh, so we teach nine different skill sets. Actually, I have a course on this that men can just do on their own. It's called creating an extraordinary marriage through elevated communication, connection, and intimacy. Cool. And I teach you nine tactical skills. So like, for instance, uh, just know that your wife has three basic needs. And when these three basic needs are getting met, she feels really fantastic and very fulfilled in the marriage. Those three needs are, she needs to feel heard. She needs to feel seen and she needs to feel safe. Right. Mm. And men are not usually, and we don't do this on purpose. I'm not, I'm not downplaying men and their efforts and their nobility, but we don't know that. And we don't know what we don't know. So men just because of the way we're wired, we're not the best listeners because we, when people start talking, we automatically start thinking about solutions, which is a really great skill to have, but it's not great when it comes to marriage. What your wife really needs is to feel connected to you, to feel heard, seen, and safe. And when we go, when she starts talking to us and we start telling her what we think we should do with all of our wonderful words of wisdom and advice, she doesn't feel that way. Yeah. Uh, The other interesting thing too is, is that our kids have the exact same three needs to feel seen, heard, and safe as well. So, um, skill sets like using emotional labeling, um, using the right voice tone, right. Um, using a skill set that we call called generative questions, creating an environment of psychological safety. I'll tell you, um, 
here's another really easy hack or tip. Anytime you want to ask somebody why, say, so like, uh, so like for instance, if I were to say, why are you wearing that sweater? Or if I say, cool sweater, tell me about that. You know, one is, does he like the sweater is kind of accusatory. It doesn't really feel good. The other one's like, oh, wow, he, he likes my sweater. He's inviting me to tell him where I got it from or what it's all about. Right. Right. Okay. So how do you, how do you learn that? Like generative questions? Is there a formula to this or how do people learn how to ask those questions? Cause I, I see what you're saying. That that's really incredible. Uh, how do people get better at that? So I've got a, I've got a free training on it at the, on, on our website. Um, okay. it's called uh, 25 intimate conversation starters. If you just go to the dadedge.com forward slash 25 questions, there's a video training on it. And I give you a PDF of 25 generative questions. So I'll, I'll give you an example. How yeah. is your day is not a generative question, right? It's because it's a crappy question with, and you'll get a one word answer. Good, crazy, busy, whatever, right? Boring. Right. Um, but if you ask, so that's, that is what I would call a regular run of the mill question. If you just redo the wording in that question a little bit, you'll get a much different answer. And psychologically, let me, let me back up for a second. Let me explain what a generative question even is. A generative question is called a generative question because it generates connection, thoughts, images, ideas, visions, um, safety, interest, all these different things, right? So like if I, if, if I were to say, Hey, how was your day? It really doesn't do that. But if I say, Hey, and in the right voice tone, tell me about the best part of your day to day. Right. Tell me, tell me why it was so meaningful for you. Right. So what you're doing psychologically for that person is they have to stop what they're doing. Right. They can't just be like, it was good. They right. have to be like, they'll be like, man, let me think about that. And then what, what you're actually doing in their mind is you're, you're guiding that person into gratitude and excitement. Right. And the other, here's the other cool thing. Hmm. How do we feel when we get to share something really cool that happened to us or something that we're excited about, how do we feel about that connection and the person that asked us? Right. We feel yeah. really good about that. We're like, Oh man, let me tell like, and when I ask my kids that they'll be like, like the little ones, like my, my, my nine-year-old and six-year-old, my nine-year-old be like, dad, I scored a goal when we were playing soccer recess today. It was so cool. I was like, dude, that is cool. Like, tell me about that. What happened? Like, tell me play by play what happened. And then they'll get excited and I'm excited. And it's, it creates that connection that we, that we as human beings so desperately want. Yeah. Okay. And I guess the, the generative questions help people to be heard, to be seen and to feel safe. Like it kind of yes. plugs back into those three core needs as well. Right. It totally does. Um, what was the, if I could give your, if you want, I could just give your audience three questions that I love to ask my kids every day. Yeah. And I'll give you. I'll give you the reason why for each. So okay. the first question is, tell me about the best part of your day. So you're, you're elevating their energy. You're elevating their connect, your connection to them. Um, they're excited to tell you this stuff. And the way you receive that information is you get excited with them, right? Genuinely. Like if my kid scored a goal, I'm like, dude, boom, heck yeah, man. Tell me more about that. Right. And then they'll tell you. The second question is, tell me something that really challenged you today. Or tell me something that you failed at today. Hmm. Most parents are really, and you can do this with your wife too. Most people are really freaked out about failure, but we all know that success failure is a part of the process, but yeah. And the more you can get 
a kid or another human being used to talking about their failures as a learning mechanism, the more that they're going to embrace like, okay, this is just a bump in the road and I now know what to do. So like, if my kids tell me they're like, yeah, and this is where I manufacture the skill set of psychological safety as well. So if my kid tells me, yeah, uh, so I know I scored the goal today, but I also got a D on my cultural geography test. That was a low point for me. Now, my dad brain is like, didn't I tell you to study for that? Like I yeah. told you to get off your phone, like, right. <laughs> but I don't meet them like that because that doesn't create an environment of psychological safety where they're going to tell me more about that. And they don't mm -hmm. want to hear me lecture and they're not going to listen to me lecture, but they'll listen to themselves. So here's what I do. Well, okay. So tell me more about that. I don't say, why did you get a D? I say, tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. Like, well, you know, I, there was some, there was some stuff on the test I really wasn't ready for. And you know, I, I guess I didn't study as hard as I could have. I'm like, man, that's really, really great information to have. So let me ask you this. If you were able to do the whole process all over again, getting ready for this test and cultural geography, what would you do different? And be like, I would have studied more. I thought I had it memorized. I didn't. I would have probably spent more time, maybe gotten in a study group or something like that. Maybe even asked the teacher a few more questions I wasn't clear on. That's what I do different. I'd be like, man, that's that's awesome. I was like, okay, well, when is your next test and what subject? And they'll be like, I got a science test next Friday. Okay, great. Based on the information you have and what we learned, what would you do different getting ready for that test versus this one? And they will articulate this, like all my words of wisdom of like, you better do this and you better do that. <laughs> I'm going to check in on you. They will create the recipe for their own success by articulating it themselves. Yeah. And they did it in this environment where they felt really good about telling dad, the hard stuff because dad didn't blow up. He just mm -hmm. guided them through a few more questions with this very curious tone, not a demeaning tone. And they're the ones who are creating the recipe for success. Not me, which is that's great. cool. Yeah. I just, just want to pause for a sec. Yeah. How do you, how do you, is there anything that you do in particular to interrupt the, like you mentioned the quote unquote dad brain that wants to be like, didn't I tell you? Yeah. Cause I, I imagine like people are hearing this and they're like, that makes that makes so much sense, and I I think sometimes we at least have an idea of what we should be doing. How do you bridge that gap? It's hard. Yeah, it's it is hard. You know, especially yeah. if like I've nudged my kid all week long, be like, "Hey, man, we just got that test on Friday. Are you ready for it?" And they'll be on their phone, or they'll be talking to their girlfriend, and be like, "Yeah, I got it, Dad. It's cool." And I know that they don't. Yeah. And you know, there's there's that part of us as parents, we always want to do that. I told you so, or I knew better. You know, I was ahead of you on this one, that kind of thing. But that doesn't help anything. So the way I look at it is, I'm out for the connection first, versus right. being right and lecturing. So, and here's here's how this plays out. The more reps that I get in with having conversations like that the more my kid gets used to the fact that dad's the go-to guy versus, oh my God, I got a D. He can never find out about it because here's where, here's where the Annie really gets up, right? It's easy when you got a six-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old. When yeah. you got a kid behind the wheel of a car, 16, 17, 18 years old, he goes to the party, he's drinking and he's making the decision. Do I call my father to come pick me up or do I get behind the wheel of this car? Right. And I've gotten all these reps in of like, hey man, bring all your dirty laundry to me. We'll figure it out. He's yeah. going to pick up that phone. He's going to call me. And I've told my kids that I was like, if you ever call me at 3 a.m. in the morning, because you've had too much to drink and you, I don't care how old you are or whatever else, you will never be in trouble yeah. ever. I will quietly come pick you up. We won't say a word about it. I'll bring you home. 
we'll go back, we'll get your car the next day. We'll have a conversation around it. Just be like, you know, Hey, how can we be ahead of this the next time? It's like, but I'm not going to punish you. So that's what I'm after. Not, not being right or wrong on the cultural geography test. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. So tell me about the best part of your day. Tell me something that challenged you today. And then what's the third question? Third question is what are you most excited about tomorrow? So what that does is after they've told you something that's kind of tough on them, you want to get them revved back up again. And here's the other thing too. I call that the Netflix to be continued question because Netflix has got this incredible way of hooking you in to your, you sit down you're like, okay, I'm going to watch one episode of breaking bad. And then you watch like, <laughs> yeah. it's because of that last 30 seconds. You're like, well, I got to start the next one and see what happens. And then you're watching like eight of them. So the, the, what are you most excited about tomorrow? Like they'll tell me like, Hey, I've got, I've got the, I've got the one mile fitness test tomorrow. Like, and I'm, I'm really excited to see how quick I can run that mile. What do you think I'm going to ask them about the very next day? Right. Because right. interested people are interesting. So the more context I have about what are my kids really revved up, revved up about the next day. And then they see me, I'm like, dude, how did the mile go? Right. Yeah. And then they're like, man, like dad, he's not just like this authority figure. He's, he's doing life with me. He's interested in me. The things that excite me, excite him. That's the message in that question. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. And these three questions you said would be good for kids, wife, whatever, or is it kids in particular? I mean, kids, it's great, but any human being on the planet, like literally these are great questions. Right. And, and then also depending on like, you know, the, the second question with your wife, like what's the most challenging part of your day it's really, you know, I would say with a kid, you're asking them questions to guide them to a solution yeah. with, with my wife. I don't really do that. So with my wife, if she's like, Oh my God, like Colton was driving me crazy today. He spilled his milk. And then I forgot to pay the water bill. I had to call the water company. What I'll do with that is I just simply emotionally label what I think she's feeling. So I'm like, Oh man, that's overwhelming. Who wouldn't be overwhelmed? Tell me more about that. Yeah. That's it. That That's it. Right. It's just like, cause what I'm doing in that moment is when I label an emotion and I normalize it. So if I say, man, that's overwhelming. Who wouldn't be overwhelmed? Tell me more about that. She feels seen, heard and safe. Right. That's like the one, two, three punch right there. Okay. That's amazing. So why, why psychological safety so important? Cause I've, I've heard you mention it a couple of times now and it's very clear that like, if you can really master generative questions and obviously, you know, you work through some of your stuff from the past and, and the trauma and all that, like, you can kind of see how like creating an environment of safety is, is pretty valuable. Why, why exactly? So people, you know, if you were raised in, it doesn't matter if you were raised in an environment without psychological safety, or if you've been in relationships that you don't have psychological safety, emotional and physical relationships that have abuse don't have psychological safety. If, if the easiest way to test whether or not your relationship has psychological safety or not is if I bring this up to my, my wife, my kids, my, my manager, my friend or whatever, is this going to be met with guilt, shame, blame, and pain, or is this going to be met with empathy and understanding and tell me more about that? That's the difference. So when people feel psychologically safe to share things, whether it's questions, ideas, struggles, whatever it is. They feel really good about the relationship. They feel very good about you. They feel very good about the relationship and they don't, they don't feel desperate. They don't feel alone. They feel like they have, you know, a partner in crime, a battle buddy, whatever it is. And again, 
these relationships are everywhere. They're in our own family, marriages, the workplace, friendships, siblings, everywhere. Okay. So if so if somebody if somebody's hearing it and they're like, okay, I think I think I would need to, you know, create more psychological safety in my relationships. The generative question sounds like really, uh, really important. And then you kind of you rattle off a couple things there, like uh, it sounded like it was trying to avoid things that induce guilt, shame, blame, pain. Um, is there is there anything else that you would give people guidance on? On like, here's how you keep somebody's defenses down so that they can actually have an honest conversation with you. Totally. Um, so the the way the first step, right, is just to listen. When someone's talking, and mm-hmm. and sometimes this is difficult because sometimes the 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 subject could be something you're doing right that yeah. they don't like right. right so like my wife could come to me and say <laughs> we have, this is a real conversation we have okay. <laughs> and um so my wife she's pretty good about giving me very bold um feedback or something that she needs because she knows I'm going to receive it we've got that history but there there are other times where she hints at it Right. And she thinks I'm going to pick up on it. And sometimes I'm again, idiot moron. Sometimes I don't get it. Sure. And so she, she does, I'm up earlier than her and I take my, my, my bigger kids to school. She's at home with the little, with the little boys, my nine and six year old. So she makes breakfast for them every morning, every okay. morning, because I'm not here. I'm taking the older ones to school. And on the weekends, what do the little ones do? Cause usually again, I'm either up before her, I'm at the gym or if I'm still in bed with her, if they get up a little earlier, they will walk around to her side of the bed and they'll be like, Hey mom, can you make me some breakfast? And she gets up and does it. And this sounds very inconsiderate, but I've just like, it's never really hit my radar that maybe I should do that on the weekends. It just, and that's again, being a dumb guy. And my wife, I asked her not too long ago, I was like, Hey, share something with me. That's hard for you to share that you maybe think I don't see or understand. Now that's a question where I'm actually manufacturing psychological safety and I'm, hmm. she could come at me with something and I need to be ready for it. And she's like, well, I've hinted to you that I've really, really wanted you to make breakfast for the kids on the weekends and just allow me to sleep in every now and again, but it hasn't really landed. And she'll say it with a smile and she does, she's not sarcastic about it. And yeah, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you have. And she goes, yeah, I have. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my God. I was like, I probably look like one of the most insensitive jerks like that. I just, it just hasn't landed. And she's like, kind of, she's like, I was like, look, I was like, you just know every now and again, you need to be blunt with me. I was like, <laughs> I was like you know, I, I will absolutely do. That. And this weekend, you know, I told her I was like sleeping. I'm, I will make breakfast to the kids. I'll stay home until they wake up and all that other good stuff. But um, going back to your, to your question, you know, why is this important? And that's because, when people don't feel safe in a relationship and they 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 don't um, feel good about telling you something that's hard, they get resentful. And when they get resentful, they get distant. And when they get distant, that's right. when relationships start to crumble. So anyway, back to what you're saying, you got to be willing to listen. That's number one. Step number two is validate. So like in that, in, in that scenario, I told my wife, I was like, God, I must've come across as a total insensitive jerk, right? I'm validating the feelings that she might be feeling, right? Yeah. And then step two is, um, you know, how could, you know, is is there an opportunity for us to to make this better, or do you want me just to continue to listen or whatever? And in that instance, it was like the opportunity to make it better was for me to, to go do the thing, 
right? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. It's really good. So I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit about the whole pornography issue and how it might yeah. tie into some of these things. Um, we talked earlier about, you know, how uh, I think when when kids have, when you have an experience as a kid, uh, especially a negative one, you know, there's always this thing in your head that's like, oh, I'm going to do better when I'm an adult or I'm going to do better as a father. And for a lot of our listeners, it's like, man, pornography has derailed so many areas of my life and I'm I'm doing better for myself for sure, but I also don't want my kids to fall into the same thing and repeat the pattern. How have you been handling the conversations around sex and pornography and device usage and that kind of stuff? What, what does it look like? I'm just asking broadly. I don't know if maybe you have anything specific, but I'm just curious how you've handled that area. I mean, I'm happy to give you, a, you know, my own story with it because um, the, the lowest hanging fruit vice is pornography for men. I mean, you know yeah. that. So do I. Like yeah. a guy can say no to a beer. A guy can say no to drugs. Um, but when it comes to porn... You know, I think a lot of it, we're under the impression, well, it's not hurting anybody. And, you know, I remember like <laughs> early on in my marriage, like I actually thought I'm like, wow, this is actually a favor to my wife. Like, I don't have to bother her for sex. I can just take care of myself in between the times I'm waiting for us to have sex. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Like I think about that now, but my story with pornography alone was I was nine first time I saw it and I was okay. staying with a family member and this individual thought it would be funny to just pop in a VHS tape because we were going to watch a movie and he's popped in a VHS tape and I saw a woman giving a guy a blowjob and then get on top of him. And I was like, and at first I was like, what, 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 what am I watching here? What's going on? And he was just laughing. He thought it was hysterical. Wow. And I remember closing my eyes because it freaked me out. Like at yeah. nine, like she really don't nine. know about it at nine. And I was like, I thought they were hurting each other. Like it was all kinds of crazy things ran through my head, but I will tell you, made me very curious about like, what did I just see? And then I just, you know, that was like my vice growing up was that. Hmm. And as I've gotten older, I've, I've completely gotten away from it. And, but I, wow. I think if you just rethink of it like this, cause this is what really was the nail in the coffin for me to be like, I'm not doing this. Like I'm done with this. Um, and I can't even remember the last time I watched it. That's how long it's been. Good. But I, I will tell you, um, the nail in the coffin for me was, first of all, removing the shame from it. Like, yeah. I would feel so, so shameful that I was even tempted by it. And I'm like, wait a second. I'm a sexual human being. Like, I'm a sexual being. That's the way God made me. Like, he made me so when I see a beautiful woman, I'm triggered because I want to reproduce. That's just the way I'm wired. There should be no shame in that. The shame yeah. comes is when I dive into that temptation and say yes to it, right? But feeling shame that I want sex or that whatever, I don't feel shame with that anymore. I'm like, yep, there it is. I'm a human being <laughs> and I'm still a man, right? Yeah. But I will tell you, and I'm still tempted by it to this day. That temptation hasn't totally gone away. I would say it's minimal, but it hasn't totally gone away. I don't know if it ever does, yeah. but I will tell you, I have a list of 10 things that I do if I'm tempted by it wow. and I do okay. those things instead. So for me, it's like a redirection of energy. It's like, okay, yes. I'm triggered and I feel it. So, okay, I can, I can send a text to my son. I can write a note to my wife. I can send one of my members a brand new hat that we have. Like I can do something nice for somebody else. So take this That's energy cool. and do something good with it. But here's here's where the Christianity thing really, really um, 
I think plays a part for me. I believe God is a forgiving God. I'm I'm very deep within my faith. By by no means am I perfect, but I had somebody tell me this story and I don't know. It's it's not right. It's not wrong. I don't know what it is, but it's a perception that I have in my mind that keeps me on the straight and narrow. Okay. So I have this, I have this view that when I die, I'm gonna go meet Christ and I'm gonna meet God. And they're gonna be like, all right, they're like, you know, you did pretty well. You know, do you any other lingering sins? Do you ask for forgiveness? I'm like, yes, of course I do. Okay, great. Well, here, before you enter into heaven, I want to show you something. This is the conversation I don't want to have with God. All right, Larry, here's the thing. Here's your life. Here's all the time you spent at work. Here's all the time you spent in fitness. Here's all the time you spent with your wife, your kids, dad edge, all this stuff. And here's all the time you spent in porn, all these minutes, all these hours. If you would have allocated just half of these hours or just a little bit of these hours into relationship with your kids, this, this would have happened. Or if you would have put this into your next book, you would have been a New York Times bestseller, but instead you wasted it over here. Yeah. I don't want to have to answer to that. I don't know what it is about that vision, but I'm like, I don't time is the most precious commodity. We can always make more money. We can't get back more time. And I do not want to waste one more minute on something that I could go positively impact somebody else's life yeah. or my own life or whatever else on watching useless crap like that. That's my view of it. Dang, that's powerful, man. It, it really speaks to the power of having a vision, right? Um, and we always, I always tell my guys this because I'm like, there's no such thing as right or wrong motivation. If it motivates you, just use it, you know, leverage yeah. it. So I love that. Uh, man, we're running out of time here and I want, I want to make sure people get a chance to connect with you. Uh, we'll put links in the show notes to all the courses that you've mentioned. Uh, but but um, how else can people find out more about what you're up to, Larry? Yeah, I mean, I'm the the dad edge is every you know everywhere. I would say you know Instagram and social and all that. Um, and then the data the dadedge.com, not dadedge.com, the dadedge.com. Okay. Uh, if you just go to our resources tab on the nav bar, I've got um, a few free trainings in there for you that are video based and PDF. So like one is uh, full presence and purpose training. So it's like how do how do I? Most men will always tell me they're like, hey man, like how do I get more intentional and present with my kids? And those are just words, but I give you actually tactical things, physically, mentally, emotional things that you can do in the presence of your kids to get you grounded in your boots. And I, so that's a free training, um, 21 days to an extraordinary marriage. That's a free training. And then 25 intimate conversation starters. That's a training on generative questions. Cool. Um, most, if I did a training on like, here's a training on generative questions, people would be like, I don't even know what that is, but 25 yeah. intimate conversation starters, <laughs> sign me up for that. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's so true. Okay. Amazing, man. Well, it's, it's no surprise you've had such an impact, man, because uh, your story is incredible. You really uh, just have a, a gift of embodying the message of, you know, just being psychologically safe and uh, and super sound. And you're really practical. So we'll make sure we get links to all the stuff in the show notes. Uh, but in the meantime, man, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you back. All right. Well, that was amazing. Oh, my gosh. I learned so much. I would go back personally, like even just the back half after we get through a story and the tactical stuff, you guys know me, I'm all about that stuff. And I would, I would go back and listen to that a couple times because the generative questions and, you know, kind of the contrast between asking, why did you do this versus I noticed da da da, um, was there a reason for it? Or again, I, I have not mastered this the way Larry has, but you know what I mean? Like some of those things are just so, um, so profound and they seem so small and insignificant. And you, it's not because Larry's like this master linguist. It's really about helping people feel safe so that you can build the connection that you actually long to have with them. And we know that the opposite of addiction is 
connection. That's where all of this starts and ends. And um, the other thing I'll just say, guys, is like when somebody with this kind of wisdom and uh, this level of revelation comes onto a podcast and is willing to give resources away for free, you would be absolutely crazy to not go get your hands on them. So we put links in the show notes to all of his material. Please, 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 please go check it out. His book, his courses, the generative questions, all that kind of stuff. It's all there. Um, and and I just don't see any reason why you wouldn't get your, hand, uh, your hands on it. Excuse me. And the last thing I want to mention is if you are really looking for help with porn addiction specifically, I want to just encourage you and let you know that whether this year has been a good start so far, whether it's been a little bit of tough, tougher, uh, there's no time like the present to take things to the next level. And we'd love to be a part of that journey if you're willing to let us. Uh, the easiest way to get started with us is uh, if listening to this podcast, you're already there. So the second step typically is people book a call with someone on our team to find out more about our program. We like to find out more about you and your story. And then together we can kind of explore if it makes sense for us to participate in the program alongside each other. If it doesn't, then we can redirect you elsewhere. Uh, but I would love to sit down with you or somebody on my team would love to sit down with you and, uh, and see if it's a good fit. So there's a link in the show notes for that as well, guys. Book a time with us. We'd love to speak with you soon. In the meantime, have a great day. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance and insight in your recovery journey i highly recommend subscribing to unleash the man within thanks for listening i look forward to connecting with you very very soon the information opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast by Cynthia sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical clinical or any other form of professional advice any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk